Good morning, Sherwood. It is wonderful to be home with you. Now, I know it was only like a week and a half that I was gone, but it felt like ages since I've seen you all. So uh, I am going to be sharing a little bit this morning, and also in the next several weeks, we will share a lot of what God did in our trip in Ethiopia. But just let's suffice to say, it is good to see you this morning. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we began a three-part mini-series entitled Share His Story. And this is a theme that God has been working into my heart for at least eight to nine months. And that is everywhere I look, he is reminding me of the importance of story, of the power of testimony, of the need of believers to share his activity with those that are around them. He keeps reminding me that God did not enter our story, but rather we entered his. And his is a story that began in eternity past, and it is still unfolding to this very day, and it's unfolding personally, it's unfolding locally, and it is also unfolding globally. Part of sharing God's story is about evangelism. Part of sharing God's story is about the gospel. Part of sharing God's story is about testimony. But there's another part of sharing God's story that is often missed, and that is about stewardship. God has made us stewards of an incredible story. As those who have been changed by the gospel, we are called to be witnesses for Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses. A witness is somebody who testifies of what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they have personally experienced. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have seen, you have heard, and you have personally experienced Jesus in a way that many people around the world have never seen, heard, or experienced. There's a stewardship that comes with that. As I said in week number one, our personal testimony does not end with, and that's how God saved me. Our personal testimony continues with, and this is how God is at work in my life. It's not only what God did, it's also about what God is doing. And we need to share both parts of that. It's often in sharing what God is currently doing in our lives that it opens up gospel conversations with people who do not yet know Christ. It's many times in sharing what God is doing in our lives individually that we encourage and edify other believers that are around us. Uh, Lord willing, it should be like this. When you come to church on Sunday or you get together with believers or in your small group, it should be that as one person is sharing what God is doing in their life, it should encourage and edify the other believers in the room. It, it should be that when I share with you what God's doing in my life, Lord willing, it's going to encourage and edify you. And it's a beautiful thing that God's put together. And here's the wonderful part of that. There is a type of an accountability that comes when you share God's activity with others. Here's what I mean. When somebody's telling you what God is doing in your life, the first thing that comes to your mind is, well, what is he doing in my life? And if you're having a hard time figuring that out, the next question should be, why? Why am I not seeing God moving? What am I missing? What's getting in the way from God living his life in and through me? There is an accountability, a Christian accountability that comes when we share with others what God is doing in our lives. So my challenge for myself and my challenge for you for the entire year is I want us to be experts in answering this question. How are you experiencing God in your life today? 
How are you experiencing God in your life today? In other words, where are you seeing God at work? How is he answering your prayers? What is he doing in your family? How is he helping you see that he is sufficient, that he is enough? How are you experiencing God in your life today? Now, this morning, I'm going to share some of the current ways that I have been experiencing God in my life. And hopefully, after you hear a few of these, it's going to prompt maybe ways that God's currently working in your life that you didn't realize until this morning. And here's my prayer. My prayer is we are going to walk away from this service saying, God, you are bigger and you are better and you are more wonderful than I ever realized when I woke up this morning. And here's the thing. It's not that we don't already know that theoretically. The issue is, practically speaking, life has a way of distracting us and getting our eyes off of the goodness of God. That's why personal testimony is so important. It's when you hear what God is doing that you're reminded he is good and he is faithful and he is there and he answers prayer and he's still healing people and he's still saving people and he's still healing marriages. And it's when you hear all of that that you're like, God, if you can do it for others, you can do it for me. Lord willing, this morning, we're going to get into some wonderful pieces about personal testimony. Let me say this before I go any further. If you've read Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, that piece alone should remind you of the importance of testimony. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. There is power that God puts in the testimony of his people. I'm praying that we will be people who are saying, God, just give me a chance to testify. Just give me a little crack. Just give me a little something. Lord, I will testify when the opportunity comes. You'll see that the stories will emerge in the mission, and the mission will catch fire through the stories. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles this morning. John's Gospel, chapter number 4. John's Gospel, chapter number 4. I'm going to be in verses 39 through 42. I'm speaking this morning on the subject of steward his story, steward his story. It may very well be that the story of what God is doing in your life is what is needed by somebody else around you for them to walk in greater faithfulness with God. Steward his story well. This is what it says, John's Gospel, chapter number 4, verse 39 through 42. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard it for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your spirit guide us in the truth. God, live your word through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 4, it shares a conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. And I'm going to try my best over the next two to three minutes to basically pull together to summarize 38 verses 
in order to get us into the text that we're primarily studying for this morning. So here's what's going on. Jesus is in Samaria to accomplish the Father's will. He is literally living out the mission of seeking and saving those who are lost. John tells us that Jesus was sitting next to Jacob's well. His disciples were in town buying food. And this woman comes to the well in order to draw some water, and Jesus asked the lady for a drink. And she's surprised that a Jewish man would ask her for anything. And that, that, at that moment, Jesus responded with, If you knew the gift of God and who I am, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. And from this point, Jesus engages the one in a spiritual conversation about living water that satisfies and about the gift of God and true versus false worship and the importance of recognizing her spiritual need. Now, being confronted by everything that she did not know and yet still unwilling to admit that she was wrong, she basically said, well, when Messiah comes, we'll let him sort it all out. And at that moment, Jesus identified himself as Messiah and as God. Verse number 26. Now, everything about this moment is stunning. The truth of his identity, the timing of his reveal, the audience that he revealed himself to, it's all stunning. In fact, at that very moment, the disciples returned from gathering food, and they were stunned. They were shocked that Jesus is talking to this woman. The woman runs back into the city. She tells the men of the city about her encounter with Jesus. And out of curiosity, out of curiosity, the men came to see for themselves. By the way, Jesus gets a lot of people through curiosity. When you share what God has done for you, it's amazing how curious people become. So as the Samaritans were walking out to see Jesus, Jesus taught his disciples about the nourishment he receives from doing the Father's will. By using the surrounding fields as an object lesson, he taught him about the urgency of reaching the lost, the principles of sowing and reaping, and the cycles of the spiritual harvest. To stress the readiness of this harvest, Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. As his disciples would have looked up and saw the fields, it's very likely based on verse 30 that they would have seen the Samaritans walking towards Jesus. That's a brief summary of 38 verses. If you were to bring it all together, here's what this chapter is about. It is the big picture of God pursuing people. I want you to hear that again. It's the big picture of God pursuing people. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ because you figured God out. You are a follower of Jesus Christ because he pursued you. He came for you. There's a part of this story that is beautiful for us because it shows key aspects of the gospel and it shows us the significance, the importance, the power that comes through personal testimony. I want you to think of it like this. We are stewards of two great stories of God. First is the story of God's work in the gospel. The second is the story of God's work in our lives. Equipped with those two stories, we are called out as evangelists, as witnesses to testify for Christ. Now, this is a wonderful text because it shows us one of the most unlikely evangelists found anywhere in the Bible. It's the woman of Samaria. In fact, 
God used this lady's story to transform a city. Here's the thing. Don't ever underestimate what God can do when you testify of what he's done in your life. God can do abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. God always has people who are prepared and ready for the gospel. I want to show you a picture of a moment that happened this last week. If you'll notice in this picture, there is a man in the very center. He's got a cowboy's hat on. That's a nice-looking hat. I like that hat. You'll see part of the mission team that is around him. Let me tell you what was going on in this picture. As many of you know, myself as well as Ken Bevel and two others on our team right here spent some time in Ethiopia this last week. And as we got into the country, it was our second day, and we had been traveling on some extremely bumpy roads. We finally pulled off to a little restaurant in order to go to the restroom and to get something to drink. And as we stepped into this place, there was a man from Ethiopia who just happened to be living in Missouri at the time who recognized Dr. Desta, who is the leader of the group that we were going to serve. And he came up to Dr. Desta and he said, I am concerned for my dad. I've been praying for my dad for years. I've been sharing the gospel with my dad for years, but my dad has yet to place faith in Jesus. And he said, is there a chance that somebody on this team would be willing to share the gospel with my dad? So, as it so happened, the dad's name is Alaro. Alaro basically has a story in which he was hurt in the church at an early age. It caused him to be at a place he said, I can no longer believe because of what he saw around him. Because of that, he went the exact opposite direction. He became a polygamist in the northern part of Ethiopia. He had eight wives at one particular point in time, although as of last week, he only had one at this point. I'd just like to point that out to you. So he began to share that he could not believe, but this son of his was so burdened for his dad that when he saw Dr. Destin, the team, he said, maybe there's somebody on the team that would be willing to share the gospel. So Dr. Destin asked me, he said, there's a man here who he is concerned about his dad. Would you share the gospel with his dad? I said, sure. I'm thinking it's going to be myself and Dr. Desta and maybe the dad sitting down. That is not the plan Dr. Desta had. He said, hey, get the team together. And he called all the family together. And he brought anybody in the restaurant who was there together. And he said, he's going to share the gospel. You all come over here. There's a whole group that came together. And I shared the gospel with this man. And I sat and I looked and his face was blank. And he said, can I share my story with you? And he began to share his story. And as he was sharing his story, all I can say is there were pieces of his story that matched pieces of my story. And the further he shared, it was God saying, Paul, share your story. Share your story. After he finished I said, would you mind if I share with you what God's done in my life? And I shared part of my story. God used testimony in the gospel for this man to come to faith in Christ this last week. Now listen to this. Listen to this. When he came to faith in Christ, his son, his daughter-in-law, his family that were there, they struck up the band, and it was a good old-fashioned worship service. 
right in the middle of this restaurant, we prayed over this family, prayed over his future. And get this, the next day, we're up on top of a 10,000-foot mountain with 50,000 other believers. And this man, with his family, climbed the mountain to be in prayer and to hear the proclamation of God's word. Here's the thing. God always has people ready for the gospel. The question is, will we testify? Will we testify? When we left, there was a conversation that happened in our van with the team. And that is, can you imagine how good God is? That God saw this man and he brought together a moment with a mission team out of Georgia. A son who was burdened and praying for his dad. A dad who recognized he had no peace. A random bathroom break in the middle of nowhere. And he pulled it together with a story of redemption. Don't tell me God does not hear your prayers. Don't tell me our God is somehow limited. Don't, don't tell me there's a place that we can go that we escape the all-seeing eyes of God. God is there, and he is present, and he is active, and he is willing. The question becomes, will we testify of what God has done for us? In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus told his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Here could easily be the most sobering thought you're going to hear this morning. There are more people ready to be saved than there are disciples willing to share the good news. For over 20 years, a regular prayer in my life has been, God, would you send us the lost and send us laborers? And here's my thought on that. When our God tells us, pray that I will send laborers, I'm going to pray that he's going to send laborers. I am praying, God, would you build a gospel workforce? Would you build a group of laborers who are willing to take the gospel to the nations? God, would you allow us to be those who take the gospel to those who have never heard? Here's your big idea. It all flows into this this morning. Our testimony may be the introduction his life must become the journey. Our testimony may be the introduction. His life must become the journey. I want us to unpack the first part of that statement. Our testimony may be the introduction. You can find this truth right there in verse number 39. It said, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He said, he told me all the things I have done. There is a direct connection between the belief of the Samaritans and the testimony of the woman who shared what Jesus had done. Even though we recognize God can use our story, our testimony, have you noticed how many excuses we give for why we don't share? We got a lot. We say, I don't want to offend people. We've been taught that you don't talk religion and politics in respectable circles. I don't know what to say, or I don't have a great story, or I'm too nervous, or I'm a private person, my walk with God is personal to me, or evangelism is not my gift. 
I get it. I've used all of them and then some. But here's the thing I love about this story. None of those excuses stand up based on what we find in this text. This woman fit none of the molds that you would ever have for somebody who was an evangelist or a witness for Christ. Based upon the culture of the first century, she was the wrong gender, the wrong nationality, and had the wrong reputation. She was a brand new believer and had no theological training. She hadn't taken a Bible study course or an evangelism course. She didn't even have the whole Bible to work with. And let's be honest, the woman was kind of still sorting out her own belief system. Like just before lunch, she was worshiping the wrong God in the wrong place in the wrong way. <laughs> Until she met Jesus. And he changed that. Today, I'm afraid we place too much emphasis upon gospel formulas and far too little emphasis upon the power of the gospel and the work of the Spirit. We are taught that our testimonies need to be no more than three to five minutes. You need to give them a little bit of what God did before you got saved, what happened when you got saved, and a little bit of a showing of what has happened since you got saved. And then if you can kind of package that up real, real nice and drop a gospel track on those people at the very end, you can close the deal. Hey, I'm not saying God has not and cannot use some of those exact things. But the issue is we have made our testimony so formulaic that we say, if you do this and this and this, these are going to be the results on the other side. So you know what that's done to a lot of people? People look at what we're saying as far as this is how you have to share your faith, and they're like, I don't want to miss the points. I don't want to get out of order. I don't want to not know what to say. I don't even know if I know the right thing. So as opposed to doing it wrong, I will just remain silent. Here it is. If you know the gospel and you know your testimony, you are ready to share. You're ready to share. No one taught this woman how to share her story. And for that, for that purpose, no one even told her to share her story. But here's the thing. You talk about what's important to you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When Jesus is rocking your world, you're going to tell somebody about it. So here's what she did. She told those she knew about the Jesus she met. That's it. Verse number 29, it says, come and see the man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? Verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. There is an old song that goes like this. By the way, I'm not going to sing it just in case you were worried. <laughs> it's little is much and God is in it. Let me tell you, there's an opposite side to that. Much is nothing if it is not yielded to God. You might only have a small part of the story. Yield it to him. Share it with others. God will use that. I get a little upset sometimes when I hear Christians say, what happens to people who have never heard the gospel? When they die, will God send them to hell? The part that bothers me even more is a different question. What happens to Christians who have the gospel and refuse to share it 
When they die, what will they share with their Savior? Is there anything that we could say that would justify the fact that we have the only truth that can rescue the perishing and care for the dying and help reconcile a person to their Creator, and yet we choose not to share it? Is there any good excuse for that? That's the greater question in my mind right now. God has given us everything we need to be effective witnesses for him. He gave us the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. He has given us the mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He has given his spirit to be with us and in us. His spirit is the one who breaks down barriers and reveals truth and prepares the heart for the gospel seeds to be planted. God has given us a direct line into the throne room of heaven in order to share our needs and to appropriate his limitless supply. He has given us life and breath and and time, and resources, and gifts. The only thing that is missing for the gospel to reach the nations is the willingness of God's people to testify. Will we share what he's done for us? This woman just shared her story. And there's a really good chance she had no idea what God was about to do as a result of that. The same is true for us. We don't know what God will do if we're willing to testify. Our job is to simply share with others what Jesus has done for us. Amen. I'm going to share just a couple of very simple thoughts before we get out of this portion of the text. The first is, this woman immediately shared her story with those she knew. Immediately. There's no probationary period before you begin to testify. He doesn't say you need to sit on the sidelines for a year or five years until he gives you the green light. You can start from day one. Share with others what Jesus has done for you. The second is your story doesn't have to be dramatic for God to use it. Now let's be honest. This lady's story is a real page turner right here. I mean, she's been married five times, living with a guy who is not currently her husband. And sometimes we look at a story like that and we're like, wow. Like, it took a lot for God to save her. Let me just say, it's amazing that God saves any of us. But it takes just as much grace to save a good sinner as it does a bad one. We all are in need of God's grace. So... You might think that your story is not dramatic enough for God to use it. I get that. I mean, it's hard to have any spiritual street cred when you got saved at the age of five out of a Christian home. Nobody's oohing and aahing over that. I mean, you didn't knock over a liquor store or you, you didn't spend any time in San Quentin. Your, your testimony's tame. It is. And there's nothing wrong with that. Here's the thing. It takes all kinds of stories to reach all kinds of people. For someone who has experienced deep sin and brokenness at a great level, for them, those dramatic stories have depth of meaning because they can identify with that. They can relate. When they hear that somebody else has gone through something like what they went through and God saved them, there's now hope. They're like, if God can do that for them, he can do that for me. There's something that resonates with them in that story. And whenever a deeply broken, hurting person hears that God can save deeply broken, hurting people, you don't have to convince them of their need. 
They know the need. They live the need. They see the need. All they need is for somebody to say, Jesus loves you. He will save you. And this is how you can have a relationship with him. That's what they're needing. But let me go on the opposite side of that. When there's somebody who has tried to follow the rules all their life, they've tried to be a good, moral, responsible person, the dramatic testimonies do not connect as much. They can't relate because it's not their life. It's not what they've lived. So for that person, it's kind of hard to admit that they even have a need when they've got a nice house and they've got a good job and they have money in the bank and they got 2.5 well-adjusted kids and they're thinking to themselves, I don't have need, I have it made. Here's the thing. The gospel's power is not diminished by our sense of desperation. God himself can turn the light on in a moment and let somebody see their deep need for him. The fact that apart from him, we are all doomed to eternity separated from our creator. It's, it's the power of the gospel. The gospel helps us see that it is for anyone. It is for everyone. Apart from what Jesus has done for us, none of us would experience true fulfillment and contentment and joy and peace and purpose and forgiveness, all of those things. It only comes as we are rightly related to our Creator. It is through the diversity of our stories that we see the gospel is not just good news for the crack addict living on the street. The gospel is good news for the soccer mom who is baking cookies for the PTA. The gospel is not just good news for the person who has been married five times and living with somebody who's not their husband. The gospel is good news for the eight-year-old whose sinful heart is brimming with rebellion. It's the same gospel that we all need. It takes all types of stories to reach all kinds of people. Your story doesn't have to be dramatic for God to use it. If your story is calm, that's okay. You don't need to go on a crime spree to spruce it up a little bit. <laughs> Just share the story God gave you. Our story may be the introduction, but here's the second part of our statement. His life must become the journey. You can see this in verses 40 through 42. It says, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. While the Samaritan woman's testimony was used by God so that they would come and hear Christ. Their faith needed to shift from, I believe because of her, to I believe because of him. It has to be that transition that happens. Some of us have been blessed with Christian parents or grandparents or Christian aunts and uncles. And maybe some of us have been blessed with pastors or youth pastors or leaders who have taken the time to pour into our lives. And they shared the gospel and they encouraged us in our faith. And I praise God for every single one of those scenarios. So what I'm about to say might sound strange, but hopefully you'll hear me out. Somewhere along the way, 
the spiritual umbilical cord needs to be cut. That is, our faith needs to transition from believing because of the walk of our mentors to believing because of the truth of our master. It needs to happen. If that transition does not occur, we never reach an area of maturity. We keep going back to somebody else instead of Jesus to find the answer. It needs to be that there is a spiritual handoff. It needs to be that we say, I'd like to introduce you to Jesus And once the introduction is made, now let me help you understand how you know him intimately and make him known to others. It needs to be that they find their life in Christ and not back with somebody else. I want to share a picture with you all of another young man. His name is Achu. Just like a sneeze. Achu. We had a lot of fun talking about his name while I was there. Let me tell you the story of this guy. Achu is a missionary to his people in Somalia. 99.96% Muslim. It is virtually unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He became burdened for his people after running into a missionary who had spent 18 years in Somalia and had never seen a single person come to faith in Christ. In fact, it bothered this missionary so much, the missionary told him, this has changed my theology. I no longer believe the blood of Christ is sufficient to reach the people of Somalia. He said they're too hard, they're too distant. This young man, Achu, did not share that same conviction. He began to Beg God to get the gospel to his people. And when I talk about begging God, this young man spends 15 days every month in prayer and fasting, asking God to give him his people. He had an opportunity last year to be impacted by the This is the Gospel training that John LaGrange went and taught in Ethiopia. And he ate it up. After going through the training, he realized what relationship with God was supposed to be about. He understood for the first time the three key relationships of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Right relationship with God, right relationship with the church, right relationship with the world. He had a burden to disciple people in the gospel. So he began to pray and to fast and to ask God, would you give me people to share with? So here's what he did. He started going to farmers around him. And he said, I'll come and work with you in the fields if you will allow me a chance to read to you for 15 minutes and to have prayer, and then I'll work for you for the rest of the day. And he began to do that. They said, sure, it's free labor. They said, sure. So he began to go through and to work for them. Then he took the this is the gospel training, and he went to a Muslim woman. And he said, would you help me translate this into another language? And he said, I'll give you this amount of money if you'll do that. The woman took the information, several days later came back to him. And she said, this book has taught me that Jesus is the Son of God. I have placed my faith in Jesus. I am a follower of Christ. You keep your money for yourself. What can I do to get the gospel to others? 
There is now a church meeting in that woman's home. Here's the thing. In less than a year, he's led 30 people to faith in Jesus Christ in Somalia. In less than a year, there are now five spiritual generations Five spiritual generations behind him where he shared the gospel with a farmer. And he said, it's now your responsibility to find somebody and share the gospel with. That, that farmer went to another farmer and shared. He came to faith in Christ. That farmer shared with his family. The family came to faith in Christ. And right on down the line, five spiritual generations in less than one year. What happened? God uses the power of the gospel and the word of our testimony to bring those he is drawing to himself into an intimate relationship with God. And when that happens, they don't get over it. This young man will likely die on the mission field for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The spiritual attack against this young man is profound at this point. And he says with a smile on his face, I will gladly lay it down. I will gladly lay it down. He saved my life. When I saw the place that he is sharing the gospel from, it is sticks and a tarp. And that's his home. And he just sits and he just asks God, who's the next person? Who's the next person? And God just keeps bringing them. Don't tell me the gospel is not the power of God unto salvation. God wants to use his people to reach the nations. A part of what God is doing right here at Sherwood is reaching the nations right now. Praise God for that. One day down the road, we may not see him on this side of eternity. One day down the road, we will be worshiping together around the throne of God with people from every nation and tribe and tongue. And there's going to be one praise on our lips. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's the one who has set us free. It's the power of God unto salvation. As we close out, just know this. Our testimony may be the introduction. His life must become the journey. He has made us stewards of two great stories. The story of his work in the gospel. The story of his work in our lives. So as we close, I'm going to give you a prayer challenge. i got three parts to this prayer challenge. It's going to be fast, I promise. But I want to challenge you through three prayers that you would testify of what God has done for you. And let me remind you, it doesn't matter whether or not your testimony could make a construction worker blush or if your testimony will put a nun to sleep. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Share your story. Share what God's done. So I'm going to leave you with three prayer challenges. First, I'm going to ask you, would you pray and ask God, will you deepen my understanding of the gospel? And show me how you're at work in my life. Deepen my understanding of the gospel. And show me how you're at work in my life. Second, pray and ask God, will you enable me to share the gospel and what you're doing in my life this week? Ask God to do that. And then number three, God, will you make me a laborer 
in the harvest. Before the service, this thought came to mind, and I don't know who it's for. You all have known me for a year and a half. I don't share a lot of random thoughts. But this thought came to mind. There's likely somebody in this room right now that God is calling out to be one of the next missionaries to the nations. We know he's calling all of us to testify and to be a witness for him. But could it be in this room this morning, God has been stirring some man, some woman in the room saying, my call on your life is not just to take the gospel here, but to take it somewhere else around the world. What would happen if a group of this size just simply said, Lord, may we testify for you. May we share with others what you have done for us. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow with me for prayer. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed for just a moment. I want to remind you as we close out that God has made us stewards of a great story. It's his story. It's the story of the gospel. It's the story of what he is doing in our lives. And a part of being a witness for Christ is that we testify of what we have seen, what we have heard, and what we have personally experienced. So as we close out this service, my appeal, my, my ask at the very end is that we would be willing to submit ourselves to God and just pray and just ask God to give us a chance to testify. So it might be that there's people in the room right now that, that God has already given you those opportunities and you're grateful for those, but you're asking him for more. It might be that there's some people in the room that you are so nervous, so afraid of sharing that you need him to set you free of those fears before you'll even open your mouth. It might be that there's some in the room right now that your heart is burdened for the nations and you've been looking for a church home with a heart for the nations and, and this morning God is confirming pieces in your life. It might be this morning that you watch people get baptized and you've heard me talk about the gospel and you just know that there's a piece in your life that is missing. You don't know what that is, but you know that, that you are not living as you need to and you're searching for answers. Whatever it might be, I'm asking this morning that you would respond as the Spirit of God prompts you. Would you just say, God, have your way in my heart? Whatever that looks like, have your way in my heart. Heavenly Father, Apart from your spirit doing it in and through us, we know that we could never be able to save anyone or draw anyone. So, Lord, you have to be the one to do it. God, may we be willing vessels. Make us laborers who are fit for the harvest. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you stand, some of our pastors and counselors and pastor's wives will be at the front. Our altar is going to be open. Just respond as the Spirit of God prompts you.